Welcome to The Explainer from thejournal.ie, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Christine Bowen, in for Sinead O'Carroll, and this week, what is Article 16 and why has it been causing so much hassle? In the space of just a couple of hours on a quiet Friday evening, the EU managed to sow some chaos into its relationship with Ireland and Northern Ireland, raising questions about whether it really does have our back when things get tough. Depending on who you talk to, it could be seen as either reckless or stupid, or a combination of both. And at the centre of it all was 178 words known as Article 16 of the Northern Ireland Protocol. The European Commission almost pulled the emergency cord on this, and they could have used it to prevent vaccines made in the EU from being shipped to the UK. Suddenly, the EU was showing a side of itself that critics said was petty and dramatic, and that it was willing to do what it took to show the UK who was boss, even if that undermined its commitment to peace in Northern Ireland. So how and why did this all happen? How did Article 16 get weaponized? How is this being seen in Northern Ireland? And could all of this happen again? To bring a bit of light to all of this, I'm extremely glad to be able to turn to the two people whose Twitter feeds I automatically check whenever I have a Brexit question. Dominic McGrath is a reporter with BBC Radio Foil in Derry and formerly of the Journal Parish. And Gráinne Nye is a reporter here at the Journal where she writes about Brexit, among many other things. Now, this all started as a row about the AstraZeneca vaccine. And in last week's episode, we looked at the vaccine side. So now we're going to look at Brexit's role in all of this. Gronje, there are layers and layers to it all. So let's let's work our way in. Can you give us a straightforward explanation of Article 16 of the Northern Ireland Protocol? It's basically a big red eject button out of the Northern Ireland Protocol. So all those rules and standards and agreements that the EU and the UK worked really hard to come to a compromise over, over the years. Basically, Article 16 is an opt out of all of that in an emergency situation and if it's causing very serious consequences. It's not really written to be used. You know, it's not really clear if you opt out of everything or some things, just the bits that are causing problems. But the principle is that it escapes you from any kind of commitments made in the Northern Ireland Protocol, which the UK and the EU agreed to. And Dominic, did Article 16 form a big part of the discussion around Brexit in the past couple of months, even before this controversy? It's probably fair to say that there was very little discussion um, of Article 16 before January this year. Um, At the end of 2020, all our minds were focused on whether there would be a Brexit deal or not. The Northern Ireland Protocol was, at that time, I suppose, sorted. And Article 16 didn't really figure in any of the intense discussions or negotiations that were happening um, towards the end of 2020. Um, You know, the Article 16 uh, provision, as Grania said, is really an emergency break uh, in the Northern Ireland Protocol. And, you know, it's quite far down the list of provisions in the protocol. It, It really is a kind of safeguard found in many trade agreements. So it's quite normal but also used for extraordinary circumstances. And so there wasn't really much discussion. Now in early January, once we started to see, you know, some of the effects of Brexit and that border in the Irish Sea, there was some talk of triggering um, Article 16 from some members of the DUP, the Democratic Unionist Party, but they were, you know, quite fringe um, views. They were kind of batted down uh, and people were really starting to learn about what Article 16 was in early January. So why are we talking about all of this now rather than when the deal was actually signed? This all came to a head on Friday, the last Friday in January, when British media started reporting that evening that Article 16 had been triggered by the EU. I got a text 
uh, linking to a tweet from Sky News that said this had happened and, you know, didn't quite believe it at first. And that seems to be how the Irish government were told about it as well. They were sent texts or tweets saying that this had happened. Um, Minister for State for European Affairs, Thomas Byrne, told Naraktis Committee this week that he was out for a walk when he was texted about it and that the Taoiseach was told by his advisor about it late on Friday evening. So that seems to be how government and most people first heard about it. Then, um, you know, on that Friday evening, I texted a government source to see if it had actually happened because it was so unbelievable. And they said it had and that there was talk between very high members of the Irish government and the European Commission about it. And, you know, Ursula von der Leyen and the Taoiseach had a, had a phone call and Taoiseach also called UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson about it as well. And then almost as soon as the controversy had flared up and happened, it was over again. The Commission said they were withdrawing the proposal to trigger Article 16 and uh, there wouldn't be, you know, any additional kind of checks or anything like that, which was the concern. But the political storm attached to it kind of rumbled on for a couple of days anyway, because the damage really p- politically had been done. We're talking a good bit about the Northern Ireland Protocol here. So, Gwarnia, can we just take a step back? What is the Northern Ireland Protocol? Yeah, and, and I suppose that there's a confusion about it because it was quite in flux for a lot of years. So now that we have it, it's kind of maybe unclear to people what it is. Basically, it is the thing that decides the trading rules and standards and regulations that there are in Northern Ireland uh, post-Brexit. So all those post-Brexit changes for Northern Ireland is decided in in the Northern Ireland Protocol. Northern Ireland is in the single market, so it has the same rules as Ireland does. And that means there's a regulatory border along the Irish Sea, if you can imagine that where the where the line is, it's along the Irish Sea because it's in the single market, but it's not in the customs union, right? So technically there should be a customs border between the six counties and the 26 counties. But what the protocol did was it moved that border to where the regulatory border is along the Irish Sea as well to avoid a hard border, avoid infrastructure policing along the Irish border, the Northern Irish border. So that is basically the crux of what the protocol does. And obviously that sounds very simple saying it that that way, but there have been problems because there are borders between Northern Ireland and Great Britain that weren't there previously. There are documentations that are needed, costs, and um, goods need to be checked at ports and airports in Northern Ireland now that didn't need to be previously. All those things are causing a bit of a problem with trade uh, that um, weren't there previously. And we're not even seeing all the checks that could be there. You know, there are health certs that are needed for all agri-food products, um, supermarkets who are are delivering. That's from the 1st of April. A ban is coming on meats that are processed or chilled from the 1st of July. All of these things are still to come down the line. So this is just not even the full thrust of the problems that Brexit has caused. So when we're seeing photographs on Twitter of supermarket shelves emptier than they should be in in Northern Ireland, it's because of that? Exactly. Yeah, there was there was a lot of that um, at the start. You know, Marks and Spencer's released a list of 400 products that they wouldn't be able to send from Great Britain to Northern Ireland. We saw a lot of empty Marks and Spencer shelves in the first couple of weeks. That is because 
the checks, the documentation weren't in place to let trade happen freely. There's been suggestion in the UK that there aren't enough customs agents to actually do the, the, the customs work that is there now that wasn't there previously. And um, from an Irish government side, they said that there wasn't the same level of prep, I suppose, from businesses to prepare all this extra work that's needed. And you see that. I don't know if anybody is getting emails from businesses that are telling them, you know, you need to visit this website or you need to pay this extra cost. All those things ideally should have happened before now, but some businesses are still kind of playing catch up with the extent of Brexit checks. So where does Article 16 fit into the Northern Ireland Protocol? It's basically a standard provision in trade agreements. I was talking to a government source before the EU suggested triggering Article 16, and they said that this is not going to be used by the UK. It is a standard clause in trade agreements that is a kind of a standard opt-out clause in case of an emergency or an incredible situation which isn't really clearly defined, which is another problem with it. This was not on anybody's radar for being used. But there's also a suggestion that I suppose if this was needed, it suggests that Ireland was shipping vaccines over the Northern Ireland border into Northern Ireland, and that was being sent on to the UK. And the Commission hasn't said there's any evidence of that, which you'd think they would if it was a defence to what they suggested during the other week. And it's not really clear from, you know, politicians here in Ireland that that's happening either. So it's really extraordinary that they did suggest using this, considering there isn't really any evidence that it would stop anything or change anything. You use the word crisis there uh, to talk about what happened. Can you explain to us exactly what did happen? What did the European Commission do on 29th of January? So uh, just before uh, that decision, I suppose a bit of context, it was the row with AstraZeneca, I suppose, that prompted all of this. The European Union had promised a certain amount of vaccines by a certain date based on what AstraZeneca said they could deliver by a certain date. When that didn't happen, the European Union got quite annoyed, to put it mildly, and they started looking at where vaccines that were being produced within the European Union were going. And they wanted to use everything in their armory to make sure that they knew what was going where. Not necessarily that they would stop it traveling, but just they knew what where everything was going. And I suppose if they were ticking, going through a list of things that they could use, we can clarify transparency around where vaccines are going. Apparently, what, what happened on, on the 29th of January when they were announcing all these measures is Article 16 of the Northern Ireland Protocol was used without really understanding the implications it would have there. Now, I I asked a commission spokesperson if it actually would have resulted in a border on the island of Ireland or checks on the island of Ireland. And they said they're saying it wouldn't have. It just would have meant a different form from a factory that produces the vaccine uh, when they're exporting it to Ireland. They would just need an extra form. It's not really clear that that is the case, but that's what they're saying. And when the commission announced all these measures and they sent it out to commissioners to approve and commissioners approved it, it was then sent out to the media, to journalists. It was published and like this was a footnote down at the bottom and someone spotted it and that's how it ended up on Twitter. And then it spread to, you know, journalists and politicians and then it ended up in high office that way. I think that just shows how little, how it does seem to be an error of not understanding what had been done. 
But I suppose that is why the Irish government and Irish politicians are very eager to make sure that this doesn't happen again. You're talking a lot about the commission uh, doing this, but do we actually know who was responsible for somehow using Article 16 in this way? I saw there was one article that suggested it might have been somebody within Michel Barnier's team. Um, But is there anybody who has kind of held their hands up to say that they're responsible? Absolutely not, no. And a lot of what we've seen from reports in the media um, to statements, there's been finger pointing at each other, you know, uh, obviously von der Leyen uh, as the European Commission president is coming under a lot of pressure. There was a report that suggested Markov Sefcovich, her deputy, may have been, um, it, it was his brief or it was under his remit where, where, where the responsibility should have fallen. There was pushback against that because he's quite liked in the commission and uh, and then there was suggestion about it could be an official. There's obviously been pushback about that. So there's been a lot of finger pointing and blaming at, at the moment without any actual light as to who put the, the, the clause in, in the email. And Irish politicians are really eager to know that. They want to know who did this because I suppose the suggestion is if we know how it happened, we can stop it happening again. So has anyone apologised? Well, Ursula von der Leyen has said that it's a she regrets the actions that happened that led up to the decision for that Article 16 was uh, suggested in uh, in the first place, which is kind of a half apology, I suppose. But it kind of doesn't help when that, you know, in her address to the European Parliament this week that she said that. Uh, but we got it right in the end. And as MEP Grace O'Sullivan said, well, you didn't get it right because even though it hasn't been used, the damage has been done politically by even suggesting to use Article 16. It is now going to be used by anyone who doesn't want to adhere to Brexit checks in Northern Ireland as an opt-out clause, a kind of get out of jail free card, so that all that kind of diplomatic work that was done around the protocol is, is not used at all. And that could result, if they do use Article 16 from the UK side, in a border on the island of Ireland. What's been the take from Ireland's MEPs? What have they been saying about it? They've actually been quite strong, actually, um, because you would think they would be a little bit defensive of the EU, but uh, they've been very strong on questioning the Commission about what exactly happened. A lot of letters have been written, co-signed by all Irish MEPs bar the Fine Gael MEPs asking for answers as to why this happened. They want greater representation of Northern Ireland so that the Commission don't forget that they are part of the European Union in some way, shape or form. And they also still want answers. They want to know how this happened. They want a, a an additional, I suppose, mechanism so that if anything to do with Northern Ireland is suggested that the Commission have to confer. Uh, and I suppose the, the other thing, they want kind of an accountability. Like this is a diplomatic disaster in a lot of ways. And MEPs, um, Fianna Fáil and Green MEPs amongst them, want someone to be accountable for how this happened and why it happened. They want some sort of kind of... Um, uh, someone to say to hold their hands up and say this is my responsibility I shouldn't have let this happen it won't happen again. 
Dominic, the European Commission has said that this was a misjudgment and we've seen politicians across Northern Ireland speaking out against it. Uh, We saw Julian Smith, the former Secretary of State for Northern Ireland, saying that the EU cocked up big time, uh, probably the most colourful language we've seen about it. But can you tell us a bit more about the reaction in Northern Ireland? Yeah, so to go back to that Friday evening um, when this row erupted, I think in Northern Ireland there seemed to be an outpouring of anger, confusion, perhaps even just frustration. Um, And I think people were trying to get to the root cause of how this actually happened. Um, And it was quite remarkable because I was working that weekend and it was really just, I suppose, wave after wave of reaction. You have the reaction from the UK government, of course, the reaction from the Irish government. But within Northern Ireland, there was just varying degrees of, it was nearly an emotional response to what happened, just trying to understand how this actually ended up happening. And I think one of the most remarkable events of the whole crisis was on Monday, um, following that Friday evening, because the parties gathered in the Northern Ireland Assembly. And in some ways, it was like a cathartic event where everyone vented their frustrations and I suppose demanded answers about what the EU was actually doing um, with Article 16. So I think a flavour of the unionist reaction is illustrated by the comments of Jim Allister, who kind of called that, called the, I suppose, the, or raised the, the, the agenda um, of Article 16 in the Assembly. You know, he said, anyone who thought that the EU was a benevolent organisation with Northern Ireland's best interests at heart, and that the protocol was a manifestation of that, had a wake-up call on Friday night. Um, Arlene Foster spoke to the First Minister. She said, you know, the protocol was imposed on the people of Northern Ireland. She said reality has bitten nationalist parties, uh, Sinn Féin. They condemned the EU, uh, the European Commission as well. They said it was wrong, but they took a perhaps a more um, conciliatory uh, position. You know, they said, look, we need to make this work. We can't scrap the Northern Ireland Protocol. And it was a mistake, but we've got to get through this with diplomacy. But, you know, for that brief period in the aftermath, of Friday night, there was, I suppose, unity across all parties in Northern Ireland based around the sheer um, the sheer anger and confusion uh, towards the European Union. And has the unity between the nationalist and unionist parties on this issue survived? Are they still on the same page? I think everyone's on the same page in agreeing that what happened was wrong. But in recent days, we have seen a split uh, in terms of what nationalist parties um, and what unionist parties are proposing as a solution. It's probably also important to note that members of the DUP had been calling on the UK government to trigger Article 16 in the first few weeks after the Brexit transition period ended in response to those uh, images of empty shelves in Northern Ireland supermarkets and in relation to you know things like restrictions on pet travel between GB and I and I think as well issues regarding importing seeds from GDP into NI. So Article 16 had been raised by some members of the DUP as a solution to what they saw as um, crisis level restrictions on trade between Great Britain and Northern Ireland. But it was only after um, the EU moved to trigger Article 16 that things started to, to ramp up. And we did see a level of anger from unionism that actually united unionism because in many ways, the DUP and the Ulster Unionist Party, who are um, electoral rivals, 
they all they're in agreement that um, the UK government needs to take drastic action. So the one of the first things the DUP did was they called for a united message from unionists uh, asking to be freed uh, their language from the protocol. They also said they would oppose all protocol related measures uh, in the Northern Ireland Assembly and they launched a parliamentary uh, petition um, calling for unfettered uh, trade between Great Britain and Northern Ireland, which currently I think has around 138,000 signatures, which does capture some of the anger among people here. There are also calls to, um, among some loyalists, to boycott North-South um, institutions. It's not entirely clear if that is going to happen or not, but they, there is a very much sense that something tangible has to be done uh, just yesterday. In the House of Commons, we saw the DUP MP Gregory Campbell ask uh, the Prime Minister Boris Johnson whether he would consider, you know, triggering Article 16 himself in response to the actions from the European Union. I think for the third time, uh, Boris Johnson said he would uh, consider triggering Article 16 if it was necessary. So, in some ways, um, it's quite different from national parties who have said, "Look, what the EU did was wrong. We have to make." The Northern Ireland protocol work. You know, there is a sense that an acknowledgement that there is a new relationship between Great Britain and Northern, and Northern Ireland economically, and that is um, some kind of restrictions on trade. But nationalist parties and, and the alliance parties, well, are saying, look, we have to make this work. Maybe there are some some things we can change or smooth out. But there is no alternative. They would say to the Northern Ireland protocol, except a hard border on the island of Ireland, which you all know was um, deeply, deeply opposed by the Irish government and parties here in Northern Ireland as a solution to the problems uh, posed by Northern Ireland when it came to Brexit. So if Boris Johnson is talking about potentially triggering uh, Article 16 again, is it that he is responding to the concerns being raised by politicians in Northern Ireland? Or is this kind of a negotiating ploy? Is this um, his next kind of chess move in the game of Brexit? I mean, what's the response been from the UK and how it's dealing with it? It's very difficult to know. Now, the DUP is certainly trying to put pressure on both the UK government and the European Union to make changes, um, drastic changes to the Northern Ireland Protocol or indeed scrap it in its entirety. Um, Arlene Foster appeared on um, the ITV show uh, Peston last night and again criticised um, the EU and called for it to uh, acknowledge the difficulties the protocol is causing for Northern Ireland. Um, it's difficult to know what exactly um, the UK government is going to do. Um, UK Cabinet Minister Michael Gove wrote to the European Commission seeking greater flexibility on goods checks at um, ports in Northern Ireland. And he is uh, talking to Sefcovic today um, about the issue. There is no indication yet that the UK government is going to scrap the Northern Ireland Protocol, but certainly they are. Their, their rhetoric has changed. Um, if you remember in January, um, when Ian Paisley Jr. from the DUP raised concerns about uh, the Northern Ireland Protocol, Boris Johnson said, "Look, they are teething problems." He's said that you know there is no there are no restrictions on gbni trade that rhetoric and that language has changed and there does seem to be um, a change in tone in the sense that the uk government boris johnson are saying there are problems and we need to fix the difficulties inherent in the northern ireland protocols it's teething problems no more 
So what are the next big challenges then that the Northern Ireland Protocol is going to face? So the Northern Ireland Protocol, if it isn't scrapped by the UK government, which at the moment does seem unlikely, will face a challenge at the end of March when the grace period um, for food ends. So that means that some businesses, um, in particular major retailers, um, will have to have export health certificates for some products. And that will add an extra layer of, I suppose, bureaucracy to trade between Great Britain and Northern Ireland. And this is something that retailers are worried about. Um, the reaction from retailers in Northern Ireland over the last month and a half has been that the Northern Ireland Protocol has added um, some difficulties, but they are working through it. Um, and that they would like to see some greater flexibility from the European Union, from the UK government, and some support from the Northern Ireland executive. But no businesses, as far as I'm aware, are calling for the Northern Ireland Protocol to be scrapped in its entirety. That does not mean they don't have concerns, and their concerns are coalescing around what happens at the end of the grace period, which does threaten to provide something of a uh, hard hard landing for businesses unless some kind of agreement is reached between the UK and the EU for maybe an extension to the grace periods or some kind of transition or just some kind of different arrangements that make it easier for businesses. So we're probably likely to see discussion around grace periods increasing um, in the next month. Um, it, well, I suppose we'll see if anything changes, depending on the outcomes of discussions between uh, Michael Gove and his counterpart in the European Union. This is a question for both of you, so I'll, I'll go to Gronje first. Gronje, was all of this a one-off or do you think that we're going to see a repeat of this again? It's hard to say exactly. Um, in a lot of ways, Pandora's box has been opened. There has been a suggestion that Article 16 could be used and that makes the idea of actually using it a little bit easier. From the Irish government side, they want commitments that it won't be used again from the European Commission. And there are ongoing talks ever since this has happened to see if that they can get some sort of commitment to not use it again, or at least warn the Irish government if they're even talking about it. From the UK side, when Boris Johnson says we may use Article 16, we may not. My reading of that is that as a political tool, because Michael Gove, a senior Tory minister, and Maros Sefcovic of the European Commission are in talks to try and make the protocol work smoother and better and more effectively than it is at the moment. And as part of those talks, they've asked for an extension of grace periods to kind of a um, to opt out of certain checks. So Boris Johnson saying that is kind of it does seem to be a political tool to to get a good deal in the, the those kind of protocol talks that are ongoing. But whether the European Commission actually use Article 16 again, whether the UK government actually use it, it's hard to say at this point, but it is quite unlikely. In Northern Ireland, I think that question at the moment isn't being discussed and isn't being asked simply because we are still in the full flush of the reaction to this near triggering of Article 16. You've got to remember that there is significant anger among unionist or loyalist grassroots. You know, we've seen graffiti um, in various parts of Northern Ireland saying no sea border in the Irish Sea. Um, opposition to the Northern to the Northern Ireland Protocol um, by the DUP and by unionist parties has been already launched um, by this near triggering of Article 16. So 
we are still seeing the after effects of the crisis caused by the actions of the European Union. So I think that question just isn't really being discussed yet. And at the moment, things are quite tense um, in Northern Ireland. It's been a difficult two weeks here. There are, you know, there are questions being asked of police here in Northern Ireland because uh, there was an arrest at a memorial event in related to the loyalist attack uh, at Sean, the Sean Gray and bookmakers. Um, politicians are very much in opposition here in the Northern Ireland executive over how to respond to the um, near triggering of Article 16. So in some ways at the moment, no one is saying, will this happen again? Can this happen again? Simply because so much of the discussion is focused on, well, what happened last time in the last two weeks. So it's difficult. Um, I think all parties here are aware of the complications um, that has been brought by the Northern Ireland Protocol. The difference is they all have different uh, diagnosis. This feels like a good point to wrap it up, but it is obviously a topic we're going to be returning to uh, again and again this year. So thank you both, Gronia Nier and Dominic McGrath, for being here to explain this uh, for us today. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Explainer and a big thanks to Gronia and Dominic for all of their work. This episode of The Explainer was brought to you by producers Eva Barry and Nikki Ryan. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review or a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts or tweet about it or share with a friend. Thank you for listening and we'll catch you next time.